0: Uh, hey, my name's Chris, and uh, i the pastor here at The Jar. We're so glad that you are here today, and uh, we're in our second installment of uh, the uh, series that we're doing called All Jacked Up, and uh, I just wanted to invite any of you who are here for the very first time, or you've been connecting just uh, in the last few weeks to First Steps with Chris. It'll happen right after this celebration. It only takes 15 minutes, but I want to be able to meet all of you and uh, we'll share a little bit just what the vision and values of the jar are. So after this celebration, uh, if you've never gone to that before, if you just go through the left hallway when you walk out of the gym and the first hallway on your left, uh, the exercise room is right there and we'll have a chance uh, to be able to meet you and to connect that way. So I hope you will do that. Well, before we uh, dive into uh, our teaching this morning, uh, why don't we pray and uh, we'll jump right in. Let's pray. Well, loving God, we thank you so much for bringing us into this place. And as uh, you do each time, we know your presence. And now we ask, God, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, that you would speak to us, that uh, whatever it is that we bring into this place, that, God, we would hear from you the one thing that you desire us to hear the most. We ask, God, that you would change lives in this place for your honor and that we would look more like Jesus when we leave from this place so that your name would be made great. Use your servant, God. His words are uh, not worthy to even be heard, but we pray that through the power of your Spirit, God, you would translate them in such a way that it would speak to the hearts of people who are here. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week we talked about um, what do you do when your relationships get jacked up? And what do you do when you get jacked up? Because... We realize that none of us have it all together. In fact, we looked at a particular verse of Scripture that's kind of the theme verse uh, for this entire series in Romans 3.23, and it'll come up on the side screens. I'd like us to read this out loud together. Let's read it out loud together one full voice. For all have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. Now, again, what's the word that's used twice in this verse? All. What is that again? All. Like all, everybody falls short. Uh, falls short. That didn't sound good. Everyone falls their shorts. No, everyone uh, falls short of the glory of God. Okay. And you might want to circle that word all in all because sometimes what happens is as we're going through life and we get jacked up, we think we're the only ones that are dealing with this. But Scripture tells us, and this was Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, he said that all, everyone, messes up. They make mistakes. And have you ever felt this way before? That you're kind of like, man, I want to do the right thing, but then you find yourself doing the exact opposite thing. Or you want to get into great shape, but you find yourself always sitting on the couch, okay? Or, you know, you want to be able to lose some weight and exercise, but what you notice is that you always have a Twinkie outside your mouth, you know? Or you want to, you know, grow closer to God, but you find yourself never spending time with God, and you wonder why he's distant, and you wonder why you're confused. Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, he voices the frustration that you and I have. We want to do right, but we find ourselves so often not doing that. And he writes it in such an eloquent way that I'd like us to just go ahead and look at it this morning. Uh, It's in Romans chapter 7. And whether you're a Christian or not, if you're just here for the first time, uh, you're not a follower of Christ, um, these words will speak true to you as well. So this is what it says. Paul says, I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. Sound familiar? Okay. I know perfectly well that what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience shows that I agree that the law is good. But I can't help myself because it is the sin inside me that makes me do these evil things. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I, want to, uh, when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try to do wrong, and when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Folks, every human being naturally gets this. You don't have to explain it to them. In fact, we could go out on the streets of Muncie right now, take this verse of scripture, show it to them, read it to them, and I guarantee every person would say this, dude, that's in the Bible? Like, that's my life. That's my life. Because we realize that there is this moral law and we can't reach it. We fall short of it. That's why people always fear judgment. Some of you feel judged or you fear judgment, and it's because you know you're not quite living to a standard. I mean, just stop and think about it. You and I, folks, think about this. We can't even keep our own moral standards, okay? Let alone God's standards. Have you ever said this before? I'll never do that. Or... That is wrong. I would never be a part of that. And then a day later, or a week later, or a month later, or a year later, you find yourself doing exactly what you said before, that I'll never do that. Well, Paul continues on. He says this. It seems to be a fact of life. Think about that. He says it's a fact of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. This law wins the fight and makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Folks, this is the guy who is probably the one who followed Jesus the most closely. And he says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Another uh, uh, translation actually says, oh, what a wretched man I am. That you're, He says, I'm a scoundrel. I'm a rascal. I'm a good for nothing. I'm a blankety-blank, blank, 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 you fill in the blank. Paul says, that's what I am. So Paul describes himself this way. And I'm sure... That you're thinking, oh man, like if Paul is describing himself as a miserable person, as a wretch, then what hope do I have? We might as well all go get in our cars and drive off the bridge, right? Because there's no reason to think we're any better than that. Well, Paul continues on and he wants to give us some hope. And he says, don't stay discouraged. And this is what he says. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is? In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. Again, Paul's saying I want to live right, but so many times I don't live right. Can anybody relate to that at all? Yeah. I love a story about, uh, one of my favorite stories. A little boy uh, goes to a store. And he walks up to the clerk. And he asks the clerk, he says, um, I'd like to buy a box of Tide. And so the clerk looks at him. He's like, well, that's kind of peculiar. Why are you buying a box of Tide? And he says, well, I want to wash my cat. (laughs) And the clerk, you know, is kind of like, wash your cat? What are you talking about? He said, you can't do that. That's not good for a cat. You can't wash your cat with Tide. You can't do that. And the little boy was just adamant. He's like, no. He's like. I want a box of Tide. And so the clerk's like, okay, he sells him the box of Tide. Little boy goes home, comes back the next day. Clerk sees him walk in the store. He's like, hey, uh, how'd it go? Said, my cat died. Said, your cat died? He said, well, I told you. He said, you cannot put Tide detergent on a cat. And little boy said, it wasn't the Tide that got him. It was the spin cycle that did (laughs) Okay, if you're a cat lover, don't send me an email, okay? Just a joke, okay? Just a joke. Here's the point. Every single one of us gets caught up in the spin cycle. And you know what the spin cycle looks like? Look at the screen. We want to do good, but we do wrong. We feel guilty about it, and now we vow to do better again. And we get back on the spin cycle. We want to do good, but we do wrong. We feel guilty. We vow to do better the next time. And the spin cycle goes on and on and on and on. And this is exactly what Paul is saying as he relates this Scripture to us. But rather than letting this discourage you folks, I want it to be an encouragement to you to realize that if the Apostle Paul, who wrote over half of the New Testament, can be so discouraged to call himself a miserable, wretched person, then you and I should realize that there are going to be times in which we feel discouraged as well. There will be times in which we feel not so positive. Times in which we don't feel as spiritual as we think we should. You and I at times are going to get caught up in the spin cycle. But this is the thing, folks. You can get caught up in the spin cycle, but you don't have to live in the spin cycle. Do you see the difference? You can get caught up in it, but you don't have to live there. So the question becomes for us this morning, how do we overcome the spin cycle of sin? Well, the first thing is that you have to admit that you're conflicted within. You have to admit that you're conflicted within. Many of us live in a world of denial, thinking that everything's great, but internally we know that things aren't quite right. Every one of us, whether you're a Christ follower or not, has an inner conflict going on. You and I are not perfect. There are no such thing as perfect people. We are all unfinished products. I'm an unfinished product. God is still working on me. I've been a pastor for 17 years, but there are still areas in my life that he's like, seriously, you're still not dealing with that yet? You're not growing in that area? And I still get jacked up at times. And you do too. In fact, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you right now And just as a sign of admission, so you don't live in denial, turn to the person beside you and just say, I'm jacked up. Okay, go ahead. Now here's the thing. If the person beside you didn't say it, then look at them right now and say, no, you are jacked up. Okay, so go ahead. If they didn't say it. Folks, we all get jacked up. There are some areas that we have a lot of work to do. It's like we're growing closer to God, but at the same point, some of us are still not completed. In fact, all of us are. We're not a completed deal. I think of it like this. You ever feel like you have a multiple personality? I do. Sometimes it's kind of like I have two Chris's in my mind. There's one that wants to live for Jesus. And then there's another one that wants to live for me. There are some that uh, a part of me that wants to honor God. But then there's another part of me that dishonors God. And there's a part of me that wants to say nice things to people. And there's another part of me that wants to say bad, horrible things to people. We all have two natures within us. We have the promise of God and what he wants, but we also are marred by sin. And there is this tug of rope going back and forth and Satan and the lies of the world wants to pull you from God's purpose and plan for your life into an area of destruction. Now, let me help you to see this a little bit better because we have these two sides and something's going to get fed and you and I choose to feed uh, whatever it is. Let's say, for instance, I have two dogs in my backyard. Now, you know, I was just talking about two sets of Chris's. Last night, 11 o'clock, my neighbor has two dogs barking. I have a seven-year-old who has played soccer all day. She's tired. She wants to go to bed. She tells me, Daddy, can you get the dogs to stop barking? I go down there, there's a soccer ball on their side of the property. I pick that thing up, I throw it, and I hit the dog in the face. I'm not proud of it, I'm just saying that's what I did. Now look at some of you, it's amazing to me. You're all jacked up, but right now you're thinking, oh, he's a horrible person. Oh, pastor boy, he shouldn't do that, you know. Dog stopped barking, I'll tell you that. My kid Kid went to sleep. I love you guys, I do. So here's the thing. I got two dogs in my backyard. They're fighting each other. Guess who's going to win the fight? The one I feed the most. Whichever one I choose... To feed the most is going to win that fight. And every single day, you get to choose what you're going to feed. Are you going to feed the things of God so that you grow closer to Him? Or are you going to feed the sinful desires of your life? But every morning, you get wake up and you get to choose which one that is. So let me ask you this morning, if you had to take an evaluation of yourself, which is winning in your life right now? Is it the things of God? Or are you feeding more your sinful desires? And those are the things that are winning. Because eventually, folks, one always wins out. It always does. Now, it's interesting to me that when Paul describes uh, this concept in uh, Romans 7, he refers to this war going back and forth. But do you remember the place that he said this war goes on? He says it's in your mind. It's between your two ears. That's where the war takes place. So apparently what you think about is a big deal. What you think about God, what you think about yourself, what you think about other people is a big deal in this fight on whether you stay jacked up or you get off the spin cycle. Have you ever seen someone before who's going down a path and you know it's a path of destruction and you looked at them and you actually said, what are you thinking? Like, what in the world are you thinking? That's just it. They're thinking the wrong thoughts. And wrong thoughts, folks, lead to wrong actions. Because what you think is the cause and your behavior is the effect. Let me say that again. We'll put it on the side screen. What you think about is the cause and your behavior is the effect. You see, a lot of times we get it mixed up and we think that behavior is the cause. It's not true. The cause is what you think. The effect is the behavior. That leads to the results of good or bad, but you get to choose what you think. This morning, I want to challenge you to do something. You can't keep from thoughts coming to your mind, but when they come to your mind, capture them and allow them to be transformed through the power of Christ. Romans 12, 2 says this. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you, what's the word, say? Think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. So in this verse, there are two parts. There's God's part, and then there is your part. Here's God's part. God's part is transformation. Only God and God alone can transform you from the inside out. You can transform the outside, but not the inside. Only he can do that. In fact, that word transform in the original language, the Greek language, the language that the Bible was actually written in in the New Testament is the word metamorpho, which means where we get our term metamorphosis. Just like a caterpillar on his own strength or in his own willpower can't make himself a butterfly, we have to finally surrender to the transforming power of God to change us. And God says, that's my part. I'll make the change. So the question becomes, what's your part? What's your part? Our part is to renew our mind into a whole new way of thinking. That's what our part is. To change the way we think. To get rid of the stinking thinking. Because that's what some of you get caught up in. Let God transform you into the person by changing the way you think. You surrender your life to God. You ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of all of your sins. And immediately, everything's forgiven. You don't have to carry any of that anymore. The death penalty had been paid with Jesus dying once and for all for all people. Who turned to Him. It's a done deal. And you have an eternal destination. But maybe you've discovered what I've discovered, that even once I made that decision, that there's not a delete button when it comes to my head. You still have to wrestle with some of the old thoughts about you. Like I said last week, you might get rid of, you know, you could move somewhere, you could get a different job, whatever, but you still have you. (laughs) You can't get rid of you. And so you've got to think about the old patterns. Some of the old patterns are hard. The way we relate to people, those old patterns of reacting to other folks, those don't just automatically go away. So we have to change not only what we're thinking about, but we also have to change our attitudes about what we're thinking about. I was thinking about this week that your attitude is kind of like changing a diaper. Some of you are changing diapers. You're in that stage right now. Your attitudes are kind of like changing a diaper. All diapers need to be changed every once in a while. And if they don't get changed, it can can stink up the whole house, right? It can. And that's the way it is with attitude. Some of you are like, I need a new job. My boss is mean. Co-workers are mean. I need a job. You don't need a new job. You need a new attitude. Some of you are like, My spouse is ugly. She doesn't look very nice. My spouse does this, that, the other thing. I need a new marriage. No, you don't. You need a new attitude. Some of you are like, my kids are driving me crazy. I just can't stand them anymore. I need some new kids. No, you don't. You need new attitude. All right, maybe the kid ones. maybe we could do that. But just joking, just joking. Because this is it, folks, when it comes to me and where I'm going and when it comes to you and where you're going, folks, attitude is everything. Some of you should write that down because your attitude's bad. Attitude is everything when it comes to life. So, first of all, we admit that we're conflicted within and we realize that God transforms us in the spin cycle. We can get out of it. We can overcome it. The second thing, though, is just as important, and that is to accept the way God sees you. So we admit that we're conflicted within, and then secondly, we accept the way God sees you. You know, folks, the world is constantly telling lies about you. It is. It's constantly lying to you. You're not good enough, you're not smart enough. We hear this all the time for women. You're not pretty enough. Folks, all three of those are lies from the pit of hell. And last week, what I said was that you are created in the image of God. So if you're created in the image of God, and because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, you are good enough. You are smart You're beautiful. You're strong. My wife, Jennifer, when we first got married, uh, the first six months or so, uh, she had some really big issues with her body image. She had some body image stuff going on. Most of that was because of recordings that she had heard in her family system, and she just kind of beat herself up. And one day, I'll, I'll never forget, I walked into the room, and she's looking at the mirror, and she's like, Oh, I look horrible. Um, oh, jeez. You know, on and on and on, all these different things. And I grabbed her and I said, Jen, stop it. I want you to know that you are strong. You're good and you're beautiful. And then I added, I would not marry an ugly person. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it kind of caught on for a while. And she's like, oh, OK, you know, she laughed and that was kind of it. And then she went on, I said, uh, and I got a challenge for you, Jen. Now, some of you don't know my wife, but if any of you do know my wife, when you give her a challenge, man, you know, Katie barred the door because she is going through it. She doesn't care what it is. You ask her to do something, she's going for it. So uh, I said, this is my challenge. I wrote something down on a Post-it note, and I put it on the mirror, and I said, for the next 30 days, every time you see the mirror, I want you to say these words. I am God's daughter, and I'm beautiful. I am God's daughter, and I'm beautiful. And it was kind of cute. You know, we we're like six months into it, and she, you know, you're kind of checking each other out anyways, and then all of a sudden a person's like in the bathroom going, I am God's daughter, and I'm beautiful. You know, you might be like, that smell or everything else ain't beautiful that's coming out of there, but, you know, <laughs> glad that you're beautiful, you know. But this is the thing, folks. Over time, as she did this time and time and time again, that 20 years later, she believes it. She believes it. (laughs) Folks, listen to me closely. Your heavenly Father is in heaven. And in his wallet is a picture of each of you. And he looks at that picture constantly. He's like, they're awesome. Oh, they got so much potential. I'm always for them. They're beautiful. And he's like kind of one of those annoying parents. You ever seen one of those annoying parents? They have their smartphone and like every ounce of their 16 gigabytes are filled with their kids' pictures. And like you go up to them, you're like, hey, I know you have some kids. Can I see a picture? And you're hoping for one. And then like 30 minutes later, you know, they're like still going on to like the next one. You're like, oh, my gosh. That's what God does to the angels all the time. The angels in heaven, he's like, look at my kid. Look at my kid. They're so beautiful. Aren't they awesome? Aren't they wonderful? I'm just so filled with joy because of who they are. Folks, that's the way that God feels about you. That's the way that God thinks about you all the time. Now, Paul wrote Romans, but later on he uh, was writing too, and he, you know, he's, he thought of himself one way, but then later on in life he, he started understanding uh, a little bit more of who God really thought he was. And this is the scripture that he writes. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. God says you were created as a masterpiece because you were created in his image. If you would, I'd like you to turn to the person beside you. You admitted something, but now we need to hear it from somebody else. I just want you to turn to the person beside you and say, you are a masterpiece. Go ahead. Some of the spouses start, like, putting their arms around them, like, you know. You're a masterpiece. You're a Rembrandt. You're a Monet. You are a a one-of-a-kind. Now, for some of you, we're glad God only made one, okay? But you're one of a kind nonetheless. And folks, you really are God's masterpiece. You were made by God to be loved by God. And God is constantly doing something new within you. Why? So you can keep it to yourself? No, so that you can do good in the rest of the world. The only problem is, is that for many of us, We just don't accept the way that God sees us. We cave into the sins of the world and what the world says of us. And those recordings go in our mind. And Satan uses that to feed our minds that we're not quite all that. And then what happens? Once those get in our mind, then our lives get jacked back up again. So it leads me to the third thing that you must do to unjack your life. And that is to change the mental picture of yourself. You've got to change the mental picture of yourself. Now again, Paul helps us to understand how we can do that by giving us a passage of scripture in 2 Corinthians 5:17. He says this, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is is here. Every morning that you wake up, you should realize that you are a new creation. Whatever you messed up with the last day, you ask for forgiveness. Try not to repeat it again. That's what repent means. Try to turn it around so you don't do it again. But you wake up and you understand you're a new creation. All the old, all the past, everything that labeled you before as a big, gigantic sinner who was all jacked up is washed away when you give your life to Christ. It's gone. And the new is here. But what Paul does not say is that the new is finished. You see, God is always molding and shaping us to look more like his son Christ. That's the goal of every human being from God's perspective, is that they look more like his son. And the new creation is being birthed in us all the time. And so you need to begin to change the way that you picture yourself. You wake up and you say, I'm worthy. I'm wanted. I'm treasured. I'm new in Christ. And as you renew your mind, and as you take God's words, and you start reading them, and you say, these are God's words written to me, and you accept that. There's a passage of scripture I read to myself all the time when I'm feeling discouraged. It says, expect love and more love. Expect love and more love. He doesn't choose not to love us. He chooses to, to, he chooses to love us no matter what. So renew your mind change the mental picture that you have of yourself. In a couple of weeks will be the NFL draft, okay? We don't have football anymore just like for a season. It's year long, so are you ready for some football, you know? And uh, we're going to... I have all these guys, and they're gonna, you know, look at all of them. They're gonna evaluate all of them. They've gone to these combines, and every time that I watch the draft, the one position that I like to look at the most are the wide receivers. And the reason why I like the wide receivers so much is because when I was a freshman in high school, I played wide receiver. Now, play is a word that is kind of loosely uh, there, but I was on the team. And the one thing that I never understood as being a wide receiver is that we would get there and we would start running our routes, but they would never throw the ball to us. Like the quarterback was like, you know, back in the locker room making out with the cheerleader, you know, and all the wide receivers are out there. We're running these routes, but no one is throwing a ball to us. And finally, one day, I'll never forget, I asked One of our coaches, I said, coach, I was like, we're running, you know, the point is that we need to get the ball, you know? And he's like, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to run those routes in your mind so well, so that when the ball is actually thrown, you realize that you've already been there before because the route is in your mind. Some of you simply need to change the routes. You need to change how you see yourself. You need to change that so that as you go through life, you're not thinking of a route that's going to jack you up. You're thinking of a route that is going to bring you closer to Christ Himself. You have to have a mental picture that you are a new creation in Christ, that you're worthy, that you're valuable, that you're loved, that you're God's masterpiece. You have to leave the past in the past. That's where the past goes. And you look forward to the future with hope. And it's not about success just for success reason. It's not about worldly success of how much more money I can get or how many more things I can possess. But it's about a godly success that no matter what I'm going through, that God is present and he's with me. I want to challenge you this morning to begin to think in a different way. To change the mental picture you have of yourself and to strongly believe, and I strongly believe that if you do that, that you can unjack your life. Now, at this point, some of you are like, okay, Chris, this sounds like a good teaching, you know, that God loves me, cares for me. I should be more affirming to myself and should change the way that I think. It's kind of a warm, fuzzy talk. kind of makes me nice and warm and fuzzy all over the place. But this is so general, because tomorrow morning, when I wake up in the morning, I'm still going to have that spouse that I'm not happy with, and I'm still going to have these kids that are crying or whining or whatever, and I'm still going to have the boss that is going to cause uh, issues for me. So when real life happens tomorrow, preacher boy, what can you tell me? Is there anything that you can give to me? How am I going to do it then? Well, this is the way that you can do it. Paul gives it to us in Philippians 4, 8. And he begins by saying this. Beloved, do any of you know what that word means? It means you are loved. You're loved. You're worthy. When you wake up tomorrow morning and whether you're an adult or you're a student, when you wake up in the morning, you can put all kinds of thoughts in between your two ears. Why don't you wake up with one word? Beloved, I'm loved this morning. I'm loved by God. I do it every morning because I need His love to help me start out my day. Beloved, then this is what He says. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is anything excellent... And if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Now listen, tomorrow you're going to be bombarded by tons of temptations to not think that way. So practically, how does this work? Well again, in the morning when you wake up, beloved, remind yourself that you're loved. And then before you get to the television show, think about as you're watching it, does this... Bring any kind of commendable thought to me right now. If it doesn't, turn it off. Or when you get on the website and you surf to something, and you get to something, and finally you start going a little bit longer, and you're like, okay, this isn't feeling so good. Click. Click it off. Think what songs you listen to before you download them onto your iPod. Think about it. Think about what video... You watch on Facebook. You ever do this before? I've done this before. You're on Facebook. You click something. You're like 30 seconds into it. You're like, ah, that's pretty funny. Then all of a sudden, it starts getting a little bit like, ah, not so sure. But you just keep on like watching it all the way through the six minutes of whatever it is. Folks, it fills your mind. Turn it off at the 30-second point. Don't keep on going. Or Netflix. You pick a movie. You start watching a movie. Uh, And you're watching it, and then all of a sudden you're like, I don't know. It's like this one movie. uh, I remember I was watching one time, and uh, uh, before I got into it, luckily I had seen uh, an article about it, and it used the F-bomb 91 times. 91 times. Okay? So, we didn't watch that one. And uh, I was thinking about, what if the pastor got up here, and I just started with 91 F-bombs? I'm not doing it, okay? Some of you are like, oh, God, please, he's really not going to do that, is okay? But, folks, whatever you watch, it affects the way that you think. Now, I don't want to become legalistic because sometimes people do that. Uh, Christians are are bound to that. Sometimes you simply uh, think that, oh, you know, whatever. And I'm not even saying that all rated R movies are always wrong. They're not. Or that you should never listen to secular music. That's a stupid, legalistic line to draw. I believe that mature Christians can have enough wisdom to decide whether a movie or music is helpful or hurtful. For example, did you know that the passion of the Christ was rated R? It was rated R due to violence. I watch it every single year. So the Christian who's legalistic and like, you should never watch a rated R movie. You ever seen The Passion of the Christ? Oh. (laughs) So don't do that. Folks, all I'm challenging you to do is this. Draw a line somewhere. And I think God will help you to know where where that line should be drawn. Because whatever you fill your minds with, whatever it is, it will determine what you become, where you go, and how you live your life. Your mind determines how you treat your spouse. It determines how you treat your friends. It determines how you treat your kids, your co-workers. Your mind does that. So I'd like to kind of close by asking you this question. It'll come up on the side screen. What change can you make today that could make everything in your life better. What change can you make today that would make everything in your life better? Now, I have a feeling that uh, many of us could think of one or two or more things that could actually just destroy our lives. Can you think of a couple things that would like, if you did, it would just destroy your life? Oh, you're all holy. You can't think of anything. I can think of something. You know what I could think of? I leave my wife tonight, leave my kids, go off, uh, sleep with some woman, have great joy, wonderful everything. I could do that. That would jack up my life for the rest of my life and my kids. But I could do it. I could think of a lot of bad things that I could do. But this is the thing. If I can think of those bad things to do. I bet I could think of one or two things to do that would really take me to another level in my relationship with God. So, what is it for you? We're going to close by simply giving you a moment to have a moment with God, just you and God. And this is the question that I'd like you to ask God. And here it is. God, what change in my life are you asking me to make today that could make everything in my life better? And so that's the question that we have for you to ask. And for some of you who are Christ followers, it might be, God might say something about your home. Something that you need to change there. Or there might be a change at work, something at work that needs to be changed. Or maybe something in your life that needs to be changed. Next Sunday, we're going to have an opportunity for you to have a change moment. I'm going to be teaching the baptism class that uh, is going to be right after the second celebration. It takes an hour, and you could think about, man, that's a change. Like, I thought about I've thought about getting baptized for a long time in my life. I just thought, man, I've got to get my life all together first, and once I get my life all together, then I'll get baptized. Uh, doesn't work that way. Every single person that has ever been baptized, except for Jesus himself, was jacked up before they went into the water. But what they realized was that if they gave their one and only life to Christ, and they were baptized, that Christ could be trusted. That he could actually forgive everything and give them a brand new start. And so for some of you, maybe... Your change is to say, I'm making that commitment. And then finally, for some of you that are here today, if the truth were known, you're, you're not a follower of Christ. You're, you just haven't been. And your life right now, if you were honest, it might be kind of jacked up. I believe the greatest single change that you could make today is that you choose Jesus as the Lord Of your life. Because the greatest decision that was ever made for change happened when God said, You are so worth a relationship with me, I will send my one and only son to die a death of all of your sins, all the things you're jacked up in. I'll put it on him so that you could be set free. And so, right now, I just want to give you a moment to ask yourself this question. God, what change in my life are you asking me to make today that could change everything in my life for the better? And if you send something, just write it in your program. You don't have to show it to anybody else. But if you send something, just write it down. And... Uh, If you're not sure, you're like, I don't know if that was me thinking or God who, you know, figure that out later. But if you sense the change, write it down and go for it. So if you would, just bow your heads, ask yourself this question to God. God, what change in my life are you asking me to make today that can make everything in my life? you sense something just write it down just write it in your program and um, make the change if you would why don't you uh, stand as we uh, close in prayer I'm going to invite our prayer team to come up and if you'd like prayer for anything they'd love to pray with you and um, if you're like man I'm, I'm kind of jacked up in this area of my life come up and get some prayer allow them to pray for you Uh, Last week, I thought it went pretty well that we kind of prayed out loud together as uh, a group of people. You just kind of repeated after me a prayer, but it's your prayer. It's not my prayer. And I was thinking that there might be some people this morning that are like, you know what? Today's my day. I really want to make this my decision for Christ. And if it is, and you're like, hey, I want a relationship with him. After we say this prayer, just come up to one of our prayer people. Let them know. Uh, They'd love to encourage you within the midst of that. But we're going to share this prayer, and I'd like you to just kind of repeat it after me, but know that it's your prayer. So let's pray together. Loving God, thank you for choosing me as your masterpiece. Just repeat after me. Loving God, thank you for choosing me as your masterpiece. Thank you for saving my jacked up life. Thank you for changing me on the inside. I know you died and rose again so I could live with you. Fill me with your spirit so I could know you, serve you, and follow you for the rest of my life. My life is not my own. I give it to you. Thank you for the new life. Now you have mine. In Jesus' name, amen.